0: The Mac Observers Mac Geek Gab show number, episode number 456 for Sunday, June 30th, 2013. (laughs) And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek As we said, episode number four, five, six, what you can do is you can go back and listen to episode one, two, three. So you get one, two, three, four, five, six right in a row. Uh, and that way you can hear two episodes of the show where we answer your questions, share your tips. Uh, next week, we'll share cool stuff found here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Mr. F. Braun, how are you today?
1: Great. Exhausted, man. I've been all over the place the last couple of weeks. Yeah, you went to a bunch uh, of shows.
0: Four different shows. Yeah, one, two, three. Yeah, four different shows. That's awesome. You want to tell us which shows those were? I know we're we're saving some Um, of the the stuff you saw for the Cool Stuff found show next week, but go ahead and tell us. Yeah. Well, the first... um,
1: I think it's by propel media it's called holiday gift guide so it's uh but, but there's technology companies there and yep. actually I, I think all the shows i went to i actually scored at least one uh uh gimme <laughs> which is what it's all about but now i'll be getting some uh hands-on experience with uh some new devices here so uh, yeah the first was called holiday gift guide and uh saw some neat things there then the next was uh pepcom uh digital experience yeah um And then the third was Gadget in Gadget Live, which uh, is is also, uh, well, they have a a special hour where just uh, uh, media uh, can uh, interact with the vendors. And then they they let in uh, the the riffraff (laughs) or regular people. Yeah, they did better this time. Last time they had like a a, a queuing nightmare in that that there were people like if you showed up early to get in early, it it, it took them like 45 minutes to process you. Oh, that's bad. Guys. And and people used, what is it? uh, Eventbrite or something. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's like, I'm I'm already registered. Just scan my barcode and let me in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did better this year, though. They were actually out on the sidewalk uh, registering people. And then the last event was CE Week, which is kind of like a mini CES. Well, very mini. It only occupied one building, but, uh, right, right. but it's done by CEA, which I guess is the same people that do, uh, uh, CES. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Huh. That's enough Manhattan for now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's good though. I, I mean, that's the kind of thing that, um, and were they all in the same night or were they kind of back to back days? One was in the
1: middle of the day and then, uh, well, the first one was in the middle of the day. The second one was in the evening. I prefer those, actually. So they started like six at night. So, uh, yeah, um, the third one was in the evening. And then the fourth one was pretty much an all day, uh, two day, uh, all day
0: affair. So, OK, that's cool. Huh? I should go to those. I, I, um, I mean, it's not that far. I get a hotel in New York and just like treat it like a tr- like one, you know, trade show trip. That'd be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Take the
1: trade. Take the train, man.
0: Yeah, for me, taking the train. If I have to be in Midtown, uh, it, taking the train almost takes the same amount of time as as the plane because uh, you know with security, and then once you get to the airports in New York, you know it's a it easily an hour uh, to get to Midtown, whereas the train just takes me there. The other way to do it is to take the plane from. Uh, you're huffing and puffing over there. Everything all right? You're. Uh, are you just sipping your uh, your your warm morning beverage? There? Yes. Got it. Uh, yeah, but there's off. a there's a plane uh, that leaves out of Lebanon, New Hampshire, that flies to Westchester, and then it's a little eight seater plane, and then the limo meets you in Westchester and takes you to Penn Station, and the same thing happens on the on the reverse trip, but uh, so you know, lots of options. Right. All right. So Dave, I was having
1: a big problem last week. You were. I thought I'd dive in and just tell you what I went through here, and and this is somewhat of a surprise to you. Um, so. If you recall, I I was having an issue with packet loss and and the impact was uh, not evident to anybody except me, really. (laughs) As far as the Skype connection went. That's right. Right. So what was happening is I was basically uh, not able to hear Dave very well because I was getting packet loss. And how do you know about that? Well, there's this window in Skype that'll tell you send and receive packet loss. And we were getting a level of like 20 percent, which is is ridiculous. Yeah.
0: Um, Oddly, I was getting getting no packet loss from you. So it was, it was, you know, right. so so the, so the listeners didn't have to suffer other than hearing us talk about it, which they right. have to suffer again. So, they, so uh, there's a lesson here. Yeah. So then I'm like, all right, you know, this is really
1: bugging me, man. I got to figure out what's up here. So, uh, so one of the first things I did is, uh, you know, I restarted my mini. Um, and after I restarted it, it got a one six
0: nine IP address. And I'm like, um, all right, that's, that's bad. For, yeah. For those of you that don't know, uh, IP when your computer uh is set to automatically get an IP address from your router if it can't get an IP address from your router it assigns itself an IP in the 169.254 range uh, so if you see that as John did that that's you know indicative of some sort of problem so now, when you're in that state, you
1: could you should be able to communicate with any other machines that also get a one six nine address. So it doesn't that's mean the that, idea. That's right. It doesn't mean that you can't communicate, but it means something's wrong with the DHCP uh, mechanism. So I'm like, all right, well, let's uh, start figuring this out. So I'm like, you know what? So, so the way I'm set up right now is I have my uh, time capsule, which is my router. Um, and then a switch, a, a gigabit switch. And so everything was plugged into that. And then that's plugged into. Time capsule. I'm like, well, you know, let me try the first thing here. I'm like, let me let me take my computer and plug it uh, not into the switch, but into the router directly. And lo and behold, I got an IP address. I'm like, OK, well, there's a problem on that part of the network. Yep. And then I looked and I saw the DOS Blinken lights were blinking. I'm like, okay, well, that, that's normal. But but it was showing where, where there was network activity. Most switches do do some level of this. And I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. Then I fired up Wireshark just to see what was going on here. Wireshark is a packet monitor, and it can show you the traffic that's flying around on your network. And so I fired it up, and I was seeing just a flood of UDP yeah. coming from some device. All these UDP packets. Now, and, uh, you- that makes sense now because DHCP also operates using UDP. so as far as I know so um, had you so there was a
0: had you power cycled cycled the switch at all during this process you had okay all right sorry
1: yeah that's another thing yeah I think I power cycled everything just to eliminate it as a problem yeah Yeah, I thought at first it was the switch I I actually have another one and I replaced it but that that, that wasn't it Um, then I'm like okay well what do I have plugged into the switch here um, and I didn't look at the packets too closely here, but I figured you know it was quick enough for me to just well let me let me just yank devices and uh, you know and see see the impact. And I was also running test calls. That's a great way to do it. Yeah. And as it turns out, um, apparently my transporter was in some wacky state, and that as soon as I pulled it, packet loss went down to single digits. Yep. So I don't know what was going on. It was in a weird state because I, I was getting notifications. It was trying to keep updating this one document and it just kept doing it. Even though it was updated, it's like, oh, I'm, up- I'm going to update it again. Oh, I'm going to update it again. So something
0: something was in some weird state. But uh, And I was getting the same notifications for the same document because it was in our shared Mac GeekGab folder on our transporters, which was which is interesting. I, I don't know what it means, but interesting.
1: So yeah, you, now the
0: other thing I did
1: to help to, a little bit is yeah. I actually shortened my cable run.
0: OK, well, so wait, 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 wait. I had, uh, let's back up a second uh, with the transporter. Right? So to I mean, you to diagnose it, you unplugged it from your switch. Uh, but to solve it, did you just power cycle the transporter and that solved the problem? Yes. OK, OK, because I've seen that and I've the had, computer. So either
1: it or the software was uh, doing something that it should be doing, but it was causing a flood of traffic on, on my my switch.
0: Yep, and so I've, that's
1: why I was getting both packet loss and a
0: DHCP failure. I've had this problem with uh one of the iMacs in the house would cause this and and I would have to restart the machine and then it and it was exactly the same symptoms uh, you know I couldn't get traffic across the network and uh, or you know IP addresses wouldn't come and and I just had to you know restart the machine and then everything was fine and then I've also had this problem with um my Sonos units now with I, with the Sonos units it's a little bit different because uh I was creating a loop in the network uh, because the Sonos units communicate both wirelessly and wired. And if you have them plugged in, they're actually supposed to use a, a protocol called STP spanning tree protocol to decide whether or not to send data across one link or the other so that they don't create a loop. But with power line connectors in there, the power some of the power line stuff does not pass these STP packets, so it so it didn't work. A little, little extra geeky for your Sunday morning or for my Sunday morning. But uh but I, I always thought with my iMac when I had this problem that in some way I was creating a loop or had you know, my network is is kind of sprawling. So I've got switches in various spots. It's not all just into one thing i've got a switch in the office and then that is bridged to a switch in the house which is then bridged to another switch in the house so you know switches are we call them uh semi-intelligent devices certainly the ones you and i run john or you know they're not i at least i don't run any managed switches which i which would be like fully intelligent but um But, you know, they get confused sometimes and and start echoing packets in the wrong direction. And sometimes just power cycling the switch can solve it. But um, but for you, you had to power cycle the devices. So it's interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the other thing I did was um, I did shorten my cable run a bit, even though my voltages looked fine. uh, They look a little better now. So I actually eliminated a redundant run of cable. I I chopped about six feet out of my run from the... uh, the street to uh to the cable modem and that helped a little bit actually i saw the transmit power level it went from like 48 dbmv down to like 46 oh that's good yeah but my downstream is still variable i i still think it's a it's a optimum online problem but my upstream oddly enough when i benchmark my upstream i don't know when they did this but all of a sudden now i'm getting uh instead of two megabits i'm getting four megabits upstream
0: okay all right So I had a I actually replaced my cable modem this week, John. I had totally forgotten about this, but um, I I had a weird thing going on. Uh, You know, I run this DDWRT firmware on my router and it had been working fine and they release updates pretty regularly. And uh, so I put an update on. And after I did this, my router wouldn't get an IP address from the cable modem until I unplugged and replugged the Ethernet cable. And if I rolled back to the old version of the software, the problem didn't happen. So I started, and this was like this, this has been going on for about three months. And so I wrote the author of the software and said, Hey, you know, there's some bug you introduced. And he was like, dude, it's not a bug. I'm like, well, but here's the, you know, here's the regression test. I go back. It's not there. I move forward. It is pretty confident that it's a bug. He's like bug with your cable modem, not bug with software. Like, Okay. This is a, he's German, you know? And uh, so th- this is why this, this broken English kind of thing going on. And uh, so I went round and round with him and I kept asking other people on the forums, you know, anybody else seeing this? Nobody, nobody chimed in. Finally, I was like, okay, fine. So I went down and I got a new cable modem, totally solved the problem. The guy was right. It was some weird bug in my cable modem that for whatever was happening in these newer versions of the software made this thing so that it couldn't get an IP address on restart. But it is good to replace your cable modem about once a year. I find maybe once every two years Um, for two reasons. A, they are very susceptible to damage from uh, electrical surges, lightning, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But also uh, for me, a lot of times you'll have your provider will be providing you with more speed than you originally got because things just kind of get upgraded uh, along the lines. I've certainly seen that with Comcast here. But if you don't have a modem that supports the latest stuff, then you aren't going to get the new speeds. So, uh, so that's why I, 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 I try to replace mine about once a year. I probably do it about once every two years, but, uh, but it pays off. So, so there you go. More advice. Yeah, I should do that too. Yeah. Doxys three or something. That's what, that's, that's what I'm on now is, is a Doxys three. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that might that might actually solve some of your problem. When was the last time you replaced your cable modem?
1: Three years ago, and they gave me the same one. It's this cheap little scientific Atlanta thing. Tiny little
0: thing. Yeah, you, you should get a DOCSIS 3 from them. What, it, it, and here's a piece of advice, and I don't know if it's necessary anymore, but a couple of years ago when, when Comcast was first rolling out Doxis 3, I knew I wanted a DOCSIS 3 modem. And so I ordered the like fastest speed tier I could get from them. And I don't know if they gave me a week for free with it or whatever, but I, I, I just got it for a week. I tested it. It was amazing having, you know, hundred megabit per second downstream or whatever, and 50 megabit per second upstream. It was something ridiculous. And then I just called them up and said, yeah, I want to ratchet back to, uh, you know, whatever the, the 20 and four, whatever the speed tier was. And, uh, and they're like, okay, fine. And so they ratcheted me back, but they never, took the, the faster modem back. So that actually bought me some, some time for a little bit. Uh, but the, uh, the Doxis three stuff. It's cool. Cause it bonds on more than one channel is how that works, John. And, and you can see it. What's that?
1: Yes. Potentially you can get way more speed.
0: Yeah. Well, if you, yeah, I mean, I, you know, when I pull up my cable modem status page, it shows that I have like eight downstream channels and I think two upstream channels bonded. So, uh, and and that's how that's how they accomplish the faster speeds so all right yeah interesting well i uh i hopefully um hopefully do you rent your your modem from uh, from uh optimum online or do you do you own it john
1: uh it's included in the price of the uh okay. package so so
0: they're responsible for it Uh, yeah
1: i think the thing is is that yeah the last time i had an issue the the only thing is that they're they're reluctant to actually ship you a new one but but if i go to
0: their office in norwalk then yep that's what i did last time just swapped it out yep i think that i think that would be a good first step to see if that is enough to solve your uh packet loss issues and if not then make them come out to the house they'll fix it for you because somewhere there's somewhere there's a bit bucket
1: that's overflowing with all these lost pack.
0: I know you're trying to uh, I'm trying to send them to you and they're just not making it, man. It's not good. All right, let's go to uh, let's answer some questions, shall we, John? Now that we're surely now that we're fully warmed up here. So uh, Jürgen writes uh, inspired by you uh, guys. I signed up for crash plan. I've been backing up to the cloud for a while now, and I like the unintrusive way it works in the background. Since Time Machine was giving me trouble with my backups, I was thinking of letting my local backups also be done by CrashPlan. This raises the question, which folders should I I back up? My slash users folder, which contains all of the user data, uh, is a no-brainer. He says, I also added applications because it saves me all the trouble of downloading and reinstalling my apps again. So my thought is to replace Time Machine. In the event I have to completely reinstall a computer, I would then simply install the OS from a USB stick and then restore from the crash plan backup. Are there any additional folders you guys would recommend? So this is interesting. Um, I, uh, interesting to, to rely solely on crash plan. Uh, I, I would, uh, and it's smart if you're going to do that, it's smart to let, CrashPlan also back up locally, which means uh, either just backing up to a folder on a hard drive uh, connected to your Mac, which CrashPlan will do, and it will actually do for free. You do not need to sign up for their service to do this, or you can back up to a hard drive connected to another Mac, either local in your network or out on the Internet. And that's also free. The only thing you pay for with CrashPlan is um, backing up to their cloud and when you do that, you do get some additional features like backup sets and things like that, that you can also use locally that are locked out if you don't have a paying subscription and obviously support. But uh, so uh, what folders to back up? Uh, making sure you're getting your home, 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 whole home folder, which you are if you're backing up all of users and backing up all of users gives you the added benefit of uh, backing up any users that are uh, in that are um, set up on your Mac. So that's good. Um, the slash library folder might potentially have some interesting stuff, but you might get more than you need there. Um, one, one thing, and I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, John, but I will say one thing to make sure of that, that I make sure of is with my Macs. Um, I try to make sure I'm not duplicating data in my backups and on all of my Macs. I have, Several things that are duplicated. Number one is my mail, right? So that's in home library mail. And I only let that that get backed up by one of my Macs. I don't need four Macs backing up that same mail folder. So that saves a ton, especially on my MacBook Air, which is mobile and and all that. So I don't back up mail from there. Um, Dropbox, SugarSync, uh, the connected data folders, if you're a transporter user. And I can't wait until version two of their software comes out because it's going to make it much easier to manage this stuff. Uh, but you know, those kind of cloud sync services, uh, think about how you're backing them up. Cause you really only need to get them from one place. I mean, you, it could be argued that you could say, well, I don't need them from any place cause they're in the cloud. Yeah. I like to have at least one copy of my crash uh, of my, uh, uh, Dropbox data on crash plan, but I don't need four. So, uh, so think about that cause you can go through and deselect folders as well. Uh, Or you can set up file exclusions and have it filter folders based on certain names. So any other folders that you would either certainly include or potentially exclude, John? Um,
1: Actually, I was going to say that the applications folder, um, if you are going to back that up, then uh, because I went through this recently, it probably is not going to have for some applications everything you need in that you can just drag the application from the backup to a new machine and it's going to work.
0: Right. But he's also getting right. his home, his entire home folder, which has, uh, it, the application support folders in it. Right.
1: Uh, I think the only other one you'd want is that you may want to get the, uh, the higher level or, or the system version of these,
0: Oh, that's a right. good point. Yeah, and that lives in the library folder. But you could just go and get slash library slash application support and and get that from there. Yeah, very few apps will leave stuff out there, but some do for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. So it'd be nice if um, it'd be nice if the stuff in the applications folder always uh, would run on its own without any supporting files. But uh, in some cases, it it does not. Um, other than that, I mean, yeah, the 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 user folder or you know you're you know like in my case uh, i'm looking at it now i guess the only thing you may want to exclude in that you know like downloads probably don't need those
0: that's another good one to exclude i do i exclude that one from mine good catch yep because that stuff you can duh, download again so unless it's a really
1: huge one um and then yeah i guess depending on how important this stuff is you know i see you know there's movies music pictures stuff like that um
0: so that's uh, a,
2: yeah, 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 yeah.
0: The- yeah. You know, I, I, while we're talking about this, I, when you mentioned downloads, it hit me that I should just launch crash Band on this machine and see what I have excluded because that will help tell us. But I, I know, I know I'm excluding mail dropbox downloads is definitely one of them. I exclude, uh, and this, this is me. Uh, I exclude the folders that have my virtual machines in them for parallels and, and VMware and that sort of thing. Uh, Because I don't have data. I use those more as test environments, I'll say, uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, storing actual data out there. If I were storing actual data, then I would I would back those up for sure. But uh, but they're just big files. Yeah. The connected data stuff is interesting because there's a connected data folder. This actually Pete and I have been running into this in your home folder. If you have a transporter, there's a connected data folder. On the root of your home folder, so at the top level, I should have say of your home folder, and that is actually a pointer to the data that lives on your transporter. So, like Pete has a a MacBook Air with a two hundred fifty six gig drive, and CrashPlan was saying that it was going to back up like three hundred and sixty gigs. Like, well, uh, that's not possible, but it is because it was treating the way, again the, the way the version one of of the transporter software works. It it Makes it appear like all this data is on your hard drive even when it's not. And again, two point will, will solve a lot of this. So, uh, so unchecking that folder is important. But then also in library application support are two connected data folders that cache some of that stuff. So you, you know you could potentially back it up twice from the same computer, even if you didn't want to back it up at all. So yeah, downloads, Dropbox, connected data, Cloud Station, which is the uh, private cloud thing that that. Uh, you get if you have a Synology nas, which you'll be getting soon John i'm very excited about this. Um, mobile documents folder inside your library that's the iCloud data that's another one to skip uh, unless you feel like you need it and mail downloads too is another one that you may or may not need, which is also in the library folder so that's what i that 's what I skip.
1: Well, and actually a general uh general strategy to do that is to get something like omni disk sweeper to identify
0: the big chunks of data that you may not need to back up yes uh yeah uh and there's an article we we talked about this in a show but um i there's an article that i Jim wrote up for us and uh it shows you how to run Omni Disk Sweeper as root because there are some uh things that you won't see just from running it from your user account. So you can go to the terminal and it's a very simple command to type. And in fact, you can copy and paste it from the article. So we'll put the article in the show notes. But uh but yeah, that's good stuff. I always forget about omni disk sweeper, even though it's one of my favorites. All right. Moving on to Brad, Mr. Braun. Uh Where are you,
3: Brad? Hey, John and Dave, Brad over in Michigan. Hey, I wanted to pass this along to you guys, and hopefully maybe this is something that could help somebody else out there that's having a similar problem. I was getting an error message when I was syncing my iPad to iTunes um, saying that one item failed to sync and to check iTunes for more information. Unfortunately, iTunes was not providing me with any more information. There were no errors or flags in iTunes stating, you know, what the what the failed sync was all about so I did some googling and found some solutions but nothing seemed to help and then it dawned on me that I had recently downloaded an update for Modern Combat 4 it was about a I think it was about a gig and a half and I went into iTunes and I saw that it wasn't updating and you know it was still indicating um, then it needed to update that app. Then I looked at my iPad and I noticed there was about 800 meg free on it. And I thought, well, why not? So I cleared up some more space on my iPad. In fact, I cleared up one and a half gigs of space on my iPad. And voila, sure enough, the sync went through. It finally allowed the update to take place and I was good to go. Um, so a couple things I learned from this, number one, I guess you have to have enough space on your iPad equal to the size of the update that needs to take place. And I would have assumed that, it, that sync process would be smart enough to say, hey, I've got a gig and a half update for Modern Combat 4. Delete the one that's on there and put the new one on. Therefore, you don't have to free up more space in order just to do an update. Evidently, that's not the case. And the second thing I learned was, Apple, it would be nice if Apple were to display that type of information in iTunes if indeed this failure does occur. So, but anyways, I thought I'd pass this along. I thought it was a little bit interesting and hopefully maybe it'll help somebody else out there who's seeing that uh, message as well. All right, guys, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.
0: Thanks, Brad. Yeah, so uh, I agree with you that Apple should give you better information about why it can't apply this update. But I do also understand why they don't do what you first uh, suggested. Now you could do that manually by deleting the app and all of its associated data, which is what happens when you delete an iOS app and then reinstall from the app store. And then that would give you the update. So that's possible, but you do lose all your data. Um, when Apple puts an app out there, um, They don't want to delete your data. And so they put the app in a temporary spot, make sure all the data that's going to be there is successfully moved or downloaded and, and decompressed on your iPad or I or iPhone or iPod touch. And then, then they move it into place. So, so it's a protective thing because if it fails halfway through, then you're left with nothing on your, on your iPad. And that's bad. So that's, that's why they do it that way. And some developers include default preferences files and things like that, that should or shouldn't get replaced depending on uh, whether you have data out there. So, so there's more to it than just put it, put it, you know, put the application there because sometimes part of the sandbox comes with it. So, uh, so that's why, but I agree the error messages should be better. Thanks for the tip, man.
1: And I'm giving you another tip, Dave. Go. I'm going to put this in our room, and of course, we'll have it in the notes oh, here. Oh, we'll say
0: hi to the chat room. Everybody at MacGeekUp.com slash stream. Thanks, uh, thanks for being here with us, and thanks for helping out with the show notes. You guys are awesome.
1: So, I posted a link here. There's a uh, Apple has an article called iTunes Specific Update and Restore Error Messages in Advanced Troubleshooting. What they do is they basically have a list of all the uh, useless error code numbers which is going to translate to English if you know about this article I hate programs that use numeric error messages
0: well it's easier than localizing them
1: right it's actually worth mentioning so, so that's one and then there's a, another general one that uh, I think is buried deep within the OS here. but if you go to the terminal you say Mac error
0: I think it is yeah only this is out. only for the Mac, not for iOS though.
1: Okay, um, but there's a, a thing if you go to the terminal and you type Mac error, a space, and then the error number um, from whatever program is generating it. So that this is more OS-level errors, uh, so probably mostly from the Finder. But uh, you never know, but basically um, it'll tell you what the number means. So between those two resources, you can decipher what the error really is.
0: As long as Apple gives you a, a numeric error. <laughs> yes. Yeah, which I don't think they did for Brad. Right. I think it just, you know, general, this failed. Sorry, dude. But you might be able to find it in the console logs. That's the other place to look if you want. You know, Apple does go out of their way uh, to make the user experience what they deem in their minds to be smooth. And that may be different from what, you know, us geeks or budding geeks would want, which is more data. But uh, but they do store more data often. Uh, They just don't push it to the users so go ahead and check out uh, the console when you're getting this and you might get a whole lot more data and you might get one of these error codes and maybe even get a description, description of the error but, but you know you certainly might get one of these error codes that you could then go look up good stuff to take us to Brent John or I mean absolutely yeah there's yeah. what Brent
1: says so I have a 5th generation ape oh. Airport. Oh, I don't know if he means extreme, extreme or express. He means extreme. Uh, uh, I wouldn't mind having an ape, but well, <laughs> no, that, that could be a yeah, that could be a maintenance nightmare. Okay, uh, not the brand new one last year's model. I use Open DNS. I have my iMac connected via Ethernet. All right, and as you can see by the Airport Utility screenshot, it is showing my DNS as Open DNS addresses. Um, in that, yeah, if I, with the latest airport utility, if you hover over it, it'll give you some pieces of information. The, the DNS that it sees being one of them. Uh, however, when I use the iOS uh, airport utility, it is showing the DNS as the same as the router. See the other screenshots. Um, in this case, uh, we see, I think, what the, normally the NAT address that is assigned to the uh, device. And to me, that's perfectly normal. Then he says, we have two iPhones and one iPad who can really no longer connect. Either it takes forever to connect to my network, and it might work for a minute, but then it either disconnects or stays connected, but sites won't load, etc. I am running Mountain Line server, though I do have DNS turned off. I tried entering either OpenDNS or Google DNS addresses manually into the iOS devices, but no luck. I did uh, power cycle the airport, but that didn't seem to help. And I didn't cycle the modem, but like I said, the iMac has no issues. Help! All
0: right. Hmm. Well, I, you know, I I'm going to start John by saying I don't think this has to do with the um I, I don't think the open DNS or whatever the DNS settings are on the router are the problem. Because right cuz he tried manually entering them on the iOS client and it still didn't get through. So that I mean that would totally bypass whatever the router's saying and it still doesn't work. Right. Right, it oh, could be, but
1: but I offer something that that, that could help determine go that yeah or, or narrow it down. So a few things to try here. So one, I'm thinking it may be some sort of weird DNS caching issue, and the best I could find, Dave. So uh, you can, I'm not sure if you can explicitly reset the DNS caching, but the closest thing I found, at least on the iOS side, is that you can if you go into settings and general there'll be a reset category and there's something reset network settings, which as far as I can tell clears out a lot of stuff. You may have to punch in some numbers again, but that's the closest thing I found to a, uh, a reset short of doing a full device reset, which I don't think is necessary. So maybe do reset network settings and see if that helps
0: on the iOS device. Correct. Yeah. Now uh, he says that his iMac is connected ethernet And obviously, his iOS devices are connected Wi-Fi. Chris Humphrey's in the chat room suggests that this might be related to a bug in the current firmware. Uh, Marco Arment posted an article about a month ago uh, detailing that he had some of these problems. And he downgraded um, from 763 firmware on his Airport Extreme to 761. And that solved the problem for him. Almost exactly these symptoms, because, it, again, it's not a DNS issue. It's just a connectivity issue. I mean, we're trying six different DNS servers and all of them are failing. So, it you know, what else is going on? I think your reset network settings is also a, a, a great troubleshooting tip because this happens sometimes where your iOS device gets tied in knots. I find sometimes with mine, I just toggle airport mode on for about five seconds and then turn it off. And that sometimes is enough to kind of just, you know, say, okay, let's, let's, let's start this over um, for that particular connection. And that can really help. But, um, but, you know, it, it could, it could be a bug in the APE. APE. In the APE. Now,
1: I'm wondering another, actually, uh, the the other thing that was offered is, is a good suggestion. Now, I don't know if this feature is in the latest uh, airport software. Because I'm looking here, uh, I seem to recall it being in the older Airport softwares that you could actually say, "Oh, by the way, could you roll back to this version of firmware?" Mm-hmm. Um, in that the Airport, uh, or at least the, when I've worked with them, will typically store older versions, say, I guess, in a file somewhere uh, on the device, and you can always roll back to it.
0: That and so that's what that. that's what Marco's showing
1: in the article. Yeah, 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 yep, yeah. What I do find interesting, actually, when I run my Airport here, so it shows mine, which is a definitely an older generation, and version 763 if i click on that it gives me another number 76300.7 that's cute okay little that's probably like the sub yeah
0: the version of the firmware in that build number or something
1: yep i don't see an option to restore older firmware though
0: uh you have to hold wait wait wait. no 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 there is i mean again this is in marco's article if you hold down the option key uh Uh it becomes a drop down menu when you're hovering over the version Ah. Sweet. Yep. And does that give you the option? Oh look to, at that.
1: Yes. I hold it down and I see a pull down and it says seven six three, seven six one, seven six seven five two
0: or other. Yep. So uh, dropping back to seven six one has fixed this for uh for many. So excellent. Yeah. Okay. So maybe that'll fix it for Brent too.
1: Yeah. Now some of the other things uh the, the that I suggested here. So um if it is a DNS issue, a couple other things you could try um, in, in your troubleshooting is try to access something by uh, directly via IP address. Yeah. And if that works, but DNS doesn't, then that would confirm a, a DNS issue. That, very true. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, and then actually, uh, I thought I'd throw it in here, even though it doesn't apply in this case, but if you ever need to, so so, on the iOS side, I think that reset thing may clear out some cruft and caches and all that, but on the OS X side, there's actually an article that Apple offers that basically tells you how to reset the OS X DNS cache, and we'll link to that for those who need to clean out their caches.
0: Awesome. All right. While we're in the iOS realm, time to, uh, time to hear Craig's little tip, shall we? Surely.
2: Hello Dave and John. Just thought I'd like to point out something, uh, maybe a kind of a cool thing found that uh, maybe you guys weren't aware of. I certainly wasn't, and a lot of people on the web weren't either. Let's just say you want to uh, grab an SD card that's full of photos and just shove them onto your iPad to look at them on a nice big screen. So you get your little uh, SD card to lightning adapter, plug it in, and suck them in, and you can look at them all day and have a great time. Now, if you've only got four or five of them, if you, when you do want to delete them, you just simply tap on them and delete them separately. That's fine. But if you have, like, say, a thousand or fifteen hundred, you're going to find that your finger's going to get worn out deleting them, and that's near as I can tell the only way to delete them individually. There's no way to select them all, uh, and you're kind of you're kind of done. That's what you've got to do. Uh, I did that once. It took me 20 minutes to delete 805 photos, and I didn't really want to have to do that again. So I went to the Apple store and asked around. The first guy I talked to said, yeah, that's it. You're stuck. But he said, but let me go check with this other guy. So he did. Came back, and he said, there is a way to do it. You can connect your computer. By the way, if you connect to the computer and run iPhoto, you still can't delete them. They're not there. But you can if you select image capture and Uh, plug it in and select image capture there they all are and of course you can use the nice mac uh, ways of selecting as many as you want at a time all of them uh command select shift select anything you want and delete them in large bunches does work really well uh however it still doesn't uh, solve the problem of what if you don't have your computer around anyway thought I'd uh it out to you might help some people along the way
0: well thanks craig that's awesome that's uh uh, I I always forget that image capture is there on the Mac. That's good stuff. What's there? Oh, image capture. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Yeah, it does a lot of things. I think it will also. Um, yeah, I haven't used it for a while, but uh, I think it also provides interface to uh, image scanners.
0: It can. That's right.
1: Yep. If they're uh, standards compliant, I think if they're Twain, is it Twain or I? Yeah, but I remember using it. it it'll. Yeah. It's one of those hidden things you don't really think about.
0: It's a very lightweight app. I I've used it when when we've processed pictures during uh, you know, Keynotes and things like that where we need to just slurp pictures into the Mac and and do something with them quickly. You know, iPhoto is very pedantic about the way it pulls in pictures and indexes and, you know, all this stuff, whereas Image Capture just slurps the images into a folder and that's it. So if that's all you need to do uh or you need to do something quickly, it's a it's great. It works. But like I said, very lightweight. So, you know, um, John, I, I, um, I, I did run, it's funny. Um, you mentioned Omni disk sweeper. I ran it and I found that, uh, my sync services folder on my Mac was over two gigs mm-hmm. in size. Yeah. And, uh, I thought they're not using that anymore. Well, that's what I thought too. And I'm like, what the heck, man? Why is this so big? But I also know that messing with the sync services folder folder is uh, warned against akin to uh, messing with a swarm of bees. Uh, and, and there's actually a knowledge base article that, that says that that has that phrase in it uh, as if it were a swarm of bees. Stay away. So I figured, well, maybe there's another knowledge base article that tells me what I'm supposed to do. And sure enough, there is um in uh in lion and snow leopard you can use the little sync wheel in the uh in the menu bar if you have it and reset sync services but like you said john in theory ostensibly they're not using this anymore and so that sync menu is gone in mountain lion but there is a very straightforward terminal command that you can run and and it's buried in a system library frameworks folder but the command is reset sync And so you you issue this command reset sync full and uh, and then it it cleared it out and cleared out, you know, uh, nearly two gigs of data for me. So uh, so uh, it and it, you know, even if you were using sync services, resetting this folder does not uh, it. All it does is effectively clear some caches. It doesn't delete data that um, that any of your apps are using. It's just when 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 sync services was in use and I'm not convinced it's not, but, uh, but when it's in use, what happens is you've got the, the, uh, the, the data in your app on your Mac and then presumably the data in the cloud, but your app didn't talk directly to the cloud. Your app talked to the OS and the OS talked to the cloud. And so the OS had to maintain this, uh, this cache so that all this data could be pushed back and forth in the right directions. And that's what this folder effectively, that's what this folder does. So, uh, so it would not hurt, uh, in my estimation to clean out that folder, having backups is always good. And backups kind of give me the, the freedom to experiment more than, more than I might, if I didn't have backups. But, uh, but with this one, you know, running that command, it saved me two gigs. So I figured I'd share that little tip and we'll, uh, We'll put that particular link in the show notes as well because that's how we roll here. Last week, John, we were talking about your cable modem issues, and uh, and we talked about pingtest.net and speedtest.net. And uh, as you know, as some of you know, uh, the folks in the chat room help us build the show notes and Brian Monroe in the chat room snuck something into the show notes that astute listeners might have seen last week but we didn't mention it in the show so I want to mention it here and it is a service called testmy.net uh it it's yet another speed test but a it doesn't require flash which b means it runs on your iPad in the browser just like uh it would on your Mac and uh and it does some cool tests but it also shows you how you compare to others on your same provider, so you get a feel for okay, do I have a real problem here, or is my provider just lame and slow? So, uh, so check it out, testmy.net. I figured I'd throw that in there too while we were on while we were on tip mode, John.
1: I'll on try another one. Yeah, go. Well, I was doing this when I was doing my packet loss test. So there is um another one that you may have used, Dave. Uh, to um, it's now Megapath. Uh oh, um, speakeasy. Yep. Speakeasy dot net. Yep. And uh I think a company called they're under a company called Megapath. But anyways, they have uh an enhanced one that shows you not only uh so it kinda combines what some of the other services do in two separate products, is that it'll show you download speed, upload speed, uh packet loss, ping, and jitter. Cool. All on one screen.
0: Cool. Let's so, put a link for so that in nice. the show notes too. Yeah. That's awesome! Uh... Yeah, there we go. Awesome speed test plus. Very nice. Megapath. Cool. All right. While we are on the uh, the follow up subject, let's uh, let's go through. Let's let Wally ask a question.
4: John, Dave. Just listening to 4.55 and the discussion of TOR, anonymization, etc. on the network. Here's a question for you. Suppose I'm on a corporate network that is forbidden BitTorrent use, and I fire up one of these utilities to anonymize my traffic. What does my machine look like on the local subnet to, to people who are monitoring for activities of that sort? It seems to me that they'd still spot me, but... I'm just curious.
0: All right, that's a good question. In fact, it's a great question. Um, if it were to work, they would not be able to tell that you were doing BitTorrent. However, uh, and there's there's a there's a there's a very sparse answer about uh, this on the Tails website, which again we will put into the show notes that effectively says it won't work, and and the reason is that they've intentionally made it so that it won't work. Um, And of course there's a reason for that too. Uh, In short, you know, the path through the Tor network can and, and does change, which makes it makes things like BitTorrent really painful, uh, both because of speed, right? Because you're, you know, you're trying to get data from one person to another and it's going through all these weird hops and bouncing all around. Um, But this constant rerouting, you know, BitTorrent is a peer to peer protocol. And when it works, the best is when you are uh, directly talking to this other um, this other host. So by having it bounce around, not only does it make it painful for you uh, and potentially the person sending it to you, if they're aware of you know what they're doing, but. It also makes it really painful for all of the hops in the middle by wasting all of this this uh, traffic with the constant rerouting and everything. So um, that that's I think that's sort of at the core of why Tor entails effectively block this kind of stuff. Um, Another path, though, to use BitTorrent is to connect to a VPN um, from your work connect to a VPN and then BitTorrent across that. And the VPN could be something at your home that you set up on your own via either via your router or, you know, you can set up VPNs in your router if your router's software will do it. And that DDWRT software I mentioned earlier will. Uh, You can do it if you have an OS 10 server on your local network. And you can also do it, um, as John will find out when he gets his new disk station, there is a VPN package uh, for the disk station that makes that really easy, too. So kind of pick your poison, whatever hardware makes sense for you, and you can set up your own VPN. And and then what happens is the the you you tunnel into your home and then the BitTorrent traffic kind of happens across that that tunnel via your home. If you don't want to do that, there are many third party services out there uh, that will uh, that th- that will provide you a VPN. However, and I make no judgments here, uh, but I want to make it clear, BitTorrent can be used for a lot of things. Some of them, many of them, are actually quite legal. You could be using BitTorrent Sync. You could be downloading uh, uh, concerts from you know Archive.org or or whatever in in ways that are permitted by the artists. Or you could use it for illegal downloads of of movies and television shows. Right. Uh, I don't know what you're using it for, but if you were to be using it for uh, these illegal purposes, be careful when going through a VPN because the VPM arc operator becomes the targeted party. If the MPAA or, you know, the RIAA wants to uh, reach out and say, Hey, you're downloading something illegal and they do suss this stuff out. And uh, because of that, many VPN services monitor for BitTorrent activity across the board to be proactive about it and stop you before they get targeted. Because if they get targeted, then they lose their bandwidth providers and, uh, and that's bad for business. So if you are going to be doing legal BitTorrenting across a VPN, you might want to tell them, in fact, more than might, you definitely want to tell them ahead of time, here's my intentions. Here's what I plan to do. Um, what I, you know, it's not going to be illegal, but I just want you to know so that when you see this BitTorrent activity, you don't just shut me down, you know, uh, with a sort of your blanket policy. And they may tell you, well, you need to find another VPN and that's fine. But, but just be aware uh, that if you are going to use it for a completely above board purposes, many VPNs may block you anyway. So uh, perhaps that helps, but that would a VPN would hide it from your your work network. As long as your work network allows you to VPN out, and some of them don't. So, you know.
1: Now. Go. To add to this. Yes, to, please. To, so if you want to use, uh, so this is specifically about Tor. So I actually found a little um, little ditty here on the Tor site, of, or an FAQ, and this is a, a good question. I think it applies to this. My firewall only allows a few outgoing ports, is the, is the statement here. And they basically say if your firewall works by blocking ports, then you can tell Tor to only use the ports that your firewall permits by adding fascist firewall space one <laughs> to your Tor configuration file, or by clicking my firewall only lets me connect to certain ports in Vidalia's network settings window.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And basically what that does... uh. I'll read the rest of it here, but it's, it's pretty straightforward. That basically tells it, okay, please only use ports 80 and 443. Normally, I think and BitTorrent, bit uh, work best when they have free reign over the ports to use, but uh, as pointed out a lot of times, that's not possible. So in this case, this does what a lot of other programs do, is almost every installation is going to allow traffic on port 80, which is HTTP, and 443, which is secure HTTP. Um, so routing your traffic through commonly used ports may make you, may make it less obvious
0: that you're using uh, a product like this. Right. Right. It still wouldn't work. It still wouldn't work for BitTorrent just because Tor doesn't work for BitTorrent. But, Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, otherwise. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But yes. And there's also things called, um, I saw this when we were researching it for last week, Tor bridges, I think is the right term where you can connect to something else that then connects to the Tor network and the bridges are specifically not published. You'd have to, I think uh, don't, you got to look this up we'll put a link somewhere, but I think you, you send an email to like bridges at, I don't know, something tour.org, but it's not, um, but you send an email and then you'll get an email back with, with the list of current bridges and you can put those in and they change regularly enough that, uh, network administrators don't specifically know that they're Tor bridges. And so if they're blocking Tor specifically, you might be able to buy a bounce around it that way. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't dig too deep into that. So I can't really tell you, but there you go. We'll find something out there about Tor bridges. All right. Uh, Joe has a, uh, <laughs> Well, it's always an important question. He says, "Recently, I went with a friend to Foxwoods Casino down in Connecticut, not too far from you, John." He says, "I used Apple Maps and discovered that the casino was about ten miles from the location shown on the map. How can I get Apple to correct its map app for this item?" Uh, there is a mechanism uh, inside of Apple's Maps uh, that lets you do exactly this. You, uh, when you're inside the the uh, map you pull up the location and you know, you hit your little dot and uh, pull up info on the location. And down at the bottom is a report, a problem button. And in that you can say information is correct pins at the long, wrong location place doesn't exist, or my problem isn't listed. And then you can add more information on the next, uh, on the next place. So you can correct maps. So if you find a problem, uh, please do correct it for uh, for the rest of us, and we promise to do the same. And, and when I say we promise, I mean all of us, everybody listening here. We we're all committed to uh, to helping one another. So it's what we do. You ever, you ever been to Foxwoods with Apple's Maps and gotten gotten off by uh, by ten miles, John? <laughs> Machines are trying to kill us. Oh, dude, <laughs> it's Skynet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've been watching some uh, Terminator lately, so yeah, Skynet comes up. But uh, that's pretty – I really – I haven't used Apple Maps for driving. I've used it for walking directions, and it's yeah. good for that, like bopping around Manhattan to get my bearings sometimes. Um, I find it really good for that.
0: I've used uh, it for driving. It's been fantastic when traveling because they – the Maps navigation on the iPhone is the best navigation you'll get because they get to do things that they don't let third parties do, like interacting with the lock screen and, and all of that cool stuff. It, it, I haven't had a problem with it, but, I mean, obviously some people have. So, yeah. Yeah. I still use Waze. I know. Driving. I know. Yeah. Well, I, I just, you know, it. I, I, Apple's Maps just burns less battery, I guess, is what it comes down to for me. And I don't... I, and, and I don't use, I don't need it all the time. Both of our cars have built-in GPSs. So the only time I use it is when I'm traveling and, you know, in a rental car or, or whatever. And, and at that point, it's, you know, it's just right there. I don't even need to make sure I have the app installed. So, well, I don't know. But maybe I should use Waze. I mean, it's not that difficult for me to install the app. I could probably do it while we're talking here. And uh, everybody seems to love it. Brian Moreau in the chat room saying, dude, use Waze. Don't be an idiot. So maybe I'll use Waze for our... Uh, our trip up to Maine today. Cause, um, after we finished the show, John, my, uh, my vacation for the week begins and we're, we're heading up to Booth Bay Harbor. Hmm. Spend some time with family.
1: Yeah. I don't know how much you're going to get out of that. I mean, it's kind of desolate up there in Maine in Booth Bay. Have you ever been there? It's awesome. <laughs> Just kidding. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but part, part of the power of ways, and it shows you this, when you start it up is it shows you how many nearby people are also connected to the ways network, And that's what, uh, My favorite part is that you can use ways to uh, stick it to the man.
0: Well, that that, now I'm signing up right now. What's uh, how do you stick it to the man? Which which man are we talking uh, about?
1: Well, if if you if you uh, if you spot a uh, uh, traffic enforcement,
0: uh, A, a main state trooper, you mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You report that and basically it alerts other people in the area. Oh, that's sweet. And likewise, yeah, if you're near an area where someone has reported it, then actually it'll come up and say, oh, I think that the, somebody reported a, a cop, you know, 500 feet ahead or something. And they're like, is he still there? And if you do it, then actually it gives the person who reported it says, oh, so and so thank you for your report. Otherwise, if enough people don't acknowledge it, then it assumes that they go
0: away and it pulls it, it, it off the map. That's really smart. All right. So I, I, uh, I am installing it literally as we speak here. So I will have it burning my battery the whole way to Maine. I'm sure we do have to stop at the Apple store. (laughs) No, uh, my daughter's iPhone five has basically ever since she got it, I think has had wacky battery issues. And, and so we totally Mm. wiped the iPhone um, and, uh, and did not restore from a backup because we know that that's the first thing the Apple store, the genius bar is going to tell us to do. So we did it anyway, proactively, Mm. And it's weird. Her battery will get down to like 20% and then the phone shuts off, but then she can turn it back on and it reports that it's at, you know, 30%. Then it gets down to 15 and the phone shuts off. It's there's something it ain't right, man. It ain't right.
1: I actually had fun at one point. uh, I don't know what they think is going on, but uh, uh, sometimes I would run on the train to see how fast we were moving because it can display your speed. Yeah, but it's funny But I I don't know exactly what it thought was happening, because the thing is, a lot of times the train is is uh, parallel to the highway in a lot of areas. So what it made it appear was that I'm driving at 70 miles an hour on a highway that as far as it's concerned, people are sitting there doing nothing. So I'm just wondering what what their (laughs) main computer thinks. It's like, okay, how is this guy going 70 miles an hour
0: through standstill traffic? (laughs) (laughs) That's a that's a good trick. That's a good trick, you know. While we're uh, while we're on this subject here, John, and I don't even know how much time we have left. Yeah, it's probably a good a good one to wrap up with. Maybe we'll see. Uh, but anyway, relevant question from David.
4: Hey, John and Dave, this is David from Raleigh, North Carolina, with a question regarding iPads Wi-Fi only versus a three G or four G model. Now, I guess um, what I want to do is use it in my car or as a GPS device, and I understand. Uh, the Wi-Fi only model doesn't have a GPS chip in it, so you got to get the 4G uh, iPad mini, preferably. And what I don't know is in terms of a service plan, if I need to get one where I could just tether it to my iPhone and then therefore it'll render the GPS data and then pull in the points of interest, et cetera, stuff via the tethering connection to my iPhone for like the Apple's Maps app or if I need to get a true data plan just for the iPad to be able to render that stuff. I did a little Google foo and kind of inconclusive in what I was reading, if a tethering uh, option would work to pull in that stuff into Maps uh, information. So if you could, uh, let me know your thoughts on that, and that would certainly help in my purchase decision. This is where you cut me off. And cut we
0: off, you shall. Wait, cut you off, we shall. Oh, we'll do it. Right. Uh, Yeah. So I've actually done this because I have a uh, 3G or LTE uh, iPad. I have a full size one. I'd I'd like to get the mini. I really should get the mini. But anyway. uh, And this. So there's there's two things, as you astutely pointed out, David. Number one is that the Wi-Fi model does not have its own GPS chip, but the, the LTE or 3G or 4G version does. You do not, in my experience, you do not need to have an active data plan in order for the GPS chip to work. It's just a, a hardware thing that's part of the uh, the more enhanced, uh, technologically enhanced iPads. So, yes, you can tether, but you need to make sure that you go into settings and uh, turn on cellular data, uh, I, at least, you know, I, honestly, I haven't checked it the other way, but I've always done this. I've turned on cellular data then it comes up and says you don't have a plan. You just hit cancel. But um, but perhaps you don't even need to do that. Maybe the GPS chip is live, but I've always had it on, but not paying for a plan. And uh, and then just tether it. Wi-Fi or actually a better way to tether it to your iPhone is Bluetooth. Uh, it works just as smoothly, in fact, more smoothly and saves more battery, in, in my experience, for both devices. So, yeah, you can get your data across, the, across another channel while still using the, um, the GPS. So, so, there you go. That's my feeling
1: on it, John. Now, my observation is that actually location services can work with a Wi-Fi-only device.
0: Yeah, but it doesn't have GPS and for I, I for, for driving and you're but you're totally right. Yes, it can use Wi-Fi for location services, Wi-Fi triangulation or, or whatever. Because because
1: I did this once, actually, I was experimenting. And if you're in an area with enough Wi-Fi, it'll it, it may work well enough. But I actually did this one time with the Strava application, um, which uh, has a they have two apps, one for walking and one for biking and uh that'll record your your bike route and i'm like you know what let me let me run the program with my ipod touch and see what happens and it actually worked pretty well except there was one area that was kind of a dead zone and so it showed me jumping from like one street like through a marsh to (laughs) to another street but it actually mapped my route pretty accurately using just wi-fi on an ipod touch I, i was actually pretty impressed plus you get to
0: prove to people that you did some sweet jumps on your bike
1: well, that's what it looked like because they recorded the route and I'm like,
0: yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you, you, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think in a car moving at those speeds, especially on highways where there's not a whole lot of wifi signals no. you know, consistently, I don't think it's going to work out, but in through a neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, I've read, I had forgotten about that. Lucas and I went out for a bike ride, um, not that long ago and we used Strava and I put it on my iPhone, which of course has GPS and he used his iPod touch and we saw the same thing. It basically worked, you know, through a neighborhood. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, John, I think unless you have anything, uh, in particular that you want to share with our esteemed listeners, I think it's time to bring the band in and, uh, Move on to the next phase of our, our days and, and weeks here. Cause I have a I have an appointment at the Apple store on the way to Maine with uh Skylar's iPhone. Mm-hmm. So it's uh you know, we got we got stuff to do. Plus I'm not packed yet entirely. That's not Maine. Yeah. Gotta have some lobsters. Yeah, we will. We will. You know, we're I, not yeah, that was... far from Maine. I mean, I'm ten minutes from Maine, so we we wind oh. up getting lobster all, all summer anyway, but it is more fun to get eat it in Maine. The the best is um so I have got a bunch of extended family that all basically live within walking distance of each other up there. They've sort of retired and and this is their thing. But uh but several of them, in fact all of them live really close to the water. So we can do lobster bakes and the best way to do it is to go down to the water and boil the lobsters in seawater. So we go down and it I mean it's heavy bringing back a big, you know, uh pot full of seawater from the from the ocean, but man it it's the right way to cook them, so so that's what we do. That's what they say, and then the crazy lobstermen tell you that you should put the lobsters in the cold water and slowly heat it. You know, heat it up. It, let them be in there while the water comes to a rolling boil. They say it's more tender that way, but that's 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 crazy. Hmm. They might be right. I usually I usually steam them. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you, these are um, uh, yeah, we, we boil them. And the, uh, and the, uh, you know, we do the, the little ones, the, the the little chick lobsters. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Uh, all right, what else do we have? Anything else? No.
1: No, next week I'll do a brain dump on all the, uh, all the cool stuff I found.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so we'll do cool all stuff, stuff found have. next week. Yeah, and the cool stuff you found So uh, send in your stuff John will be on point all week Processing it all We'll have a list of about 150 things to go through As we always do And, uh, and then we'll do that I think this time next Sunday morning We'll meet at about uh, 9.30, 9.45 Eastern oh, Daylight Time Yeah, so John it, why, why do you say all man? It's early That's a good time for us I'm going to be getting back late the night before, I think. Nah, I'm woken up by then.
1: Yeah. I still got to talk to my neighbor about uh, firing up the mower at 7 in the morning. It's a little too early for me.
0: That's uh, probably against your town code, too.
1: Uh, I actually looked up our noise ordinance. So actually, quiet hours end at 7 a.m. during Mm. the week Mm. and 8 a.m. on the weekend. And I believe they begin at 11 p.m. Okay, so he's technically within the law, but yeah. it's like dude, do you have to start mowing the lawn at seven in the morning? I have a question Can't you for wait?
0: you. I have a question for you, John. Uh, do, does your neighbor have small kids? Yeah. Okay, so uh, and and you can have noise until eleven p.m. Correct. Uh, correct. All right, so let me bring one of my bands down there, and we'll set up yeah. on your deck, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll start to set it you know reasonable hour, maybe uh, seven thirty or eight o'clock, and we'll play right through until uh, we're supposed to stop at eleven. How's that sound?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That'll fix nah, his No, he, uh, nah, he
0: had a, a gathering there the other day and invited me over. No, so, nah, he's cool. No, I, I, I know. It's better to solve these things, you know, by talking as opposed to... Although sometimes the nonverbal oh, communication Oh, yeah, no, next time I see him, I'm, seeing, I'm yeah. like... No, uh, yeah, just be like...
1: Uh, Dude, crack a dawn is... A, 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 to me, it's not a very pleasant alarm clock. Huh. Even my alarm clock makes a relatively more pleasant noise than a mower at 7 in the morning.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna, anyways, have to, We're about fire our lawn guys here. We're gonna start doing our lawn ourselves again. It's getting crazy.
1: I got a push mower too, which actually I use for quick jobs. Like a non-powered, just a, uh, uh, just a blade, just a blade, just yeah, a yeah, rotating yeah. blade. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They still sell them. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. One of my neighbors uses him uses Uses one to mow his lawn. He has a lot of time on his hands, but you know.
1: Yeah. Because my other one now, another thing that needs to be fixed. So now the car's working. But yeah, my mower has some problem with the fuel. Because uh, I'll i I'll start it. It'll run for a while. And then it just bleh, dies. No reason. Oh, it's your car. All right. Carburetor's getting flooded. Yeah, but I, I keep... Uh, and actually, to get it to work now, I have to spray carb cleaner in there to get it to, to start. So, oh, yeah. Dude,
0: anytime I'm in a situation where I need to tell a story uh, that's like... Manly story I I talk about the time Where I rebuilt The carb on my uh, On my mower It was pretty Pretty awesome Actually I think I'll do that
1: Because actually I have a backup mower One where the the, Which is essentially The same engine So I think I'll Swap out the carb
0: No you can You can fix it You just gotta take it out And and, uh, take it all apart And clean it You'll get gasoline All over your hands I mean you will stink like gas. I think I still stink like gasoline and this happened long before our first child was born, probably about 15 16 years ago. I still stink like gasoline. But uh, you take it apart. The hardest part is getting it back together cuz there's like little sp- it's small and there's little springs and things that oh, need to springs be springs and li- yeah, th- yeah. Th- it looks complicated. Yeah, but it's fun. All right. It it's a fun thing to do. What else are you going to do? You got the whole afternoon exactly. ahead of you. That's right. <laughs> All right, so if you want to send in cool stuff found or questions or tips, John, what email address uh, should we have them use? Uh,
1: One that you could use is feedback at MacGear.com.
0: Did you say feedback at MacGear.com, John?
1: (sighs) Last I checked, David, is still feedback at MacGear.com.
0: And you can send, of course... Text, email, you can send screenshots, you can send audio, you can send video, you can send whatever you want. If you want to send audio and you want to make your life a little bit easier, you can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which John is 4335. And if you want to make it even easier than that, thank you for the translation, John. Uh, if you want to make it even easier than that, go and get the Mac Geekab App in the App Store And that will send an email directly to us. You can record it right inside the app. And if you're listening to a show while you're, uh, you know, while you're inspired to send us something, it will actually tag your email with not only the episode, but the chapter and the timestamp for us. So we know uh, what your point is, uh, is in reference to. So uh, very handy. And and we hope you enjoy the app. The app also uh, allows you to join the chat room. Uh, you can do it directly from the app, and we have many people do that, and uh, and can stream right there, and even uh, you know stream when we're doing it live, and, and chat with everybody else in the room, and we'll send you a push notification when that's happening, too. So, check it all out, uh, MacGeek app, app, of course, in the iOS, uh, the iTunes app store. And yes,
1: you can reach us on Facebook.com slash MacGeek app, where you will see... A notification of when the next show is going to happen, uh, when the show notes are posted, and other interesting trivia that has to do with the show. And the Twitters! I use that every now and then. <laughs> the show is MacGeekAb. I am John Ephron. He is David Hamilton. That other guy is Pilot Pete. And the publication is Mac Observer. All on Twitter.com.
0: That's right. And I've got my Instagram synced with Twitter, so when I post things to Instagram Pictures of Lobster this week, you can, uh, you can follow along with that, but sometimes I also post Mac-relevant stuff, too. Uh, yeah, that'll do it. So we want to, but it won't quite do it. We want to thank Michael Johnston, uh, John, because he is the one who converts this show to AAC, sends, well, tech, I guess technically... We convert it to AAC and send it to him, but that's the easy work. The hard work is going through and adding links, chapters, and pictures, and that's what Michael does. He enhances the show, so uh, and he has been doing it for us for gosh, almost eight years. I mean, I think it started in September, maybe of the of the first year we were doing the show. I think. Uh, so we're coming up on, on Michael doing this with us for eight years, too. But anyway, uh, we'd like to thank you, Michael, for doing that. Michael is also the host of the We Have Communicators podcast and the publisher of GetAppLure.com. So check all that out, too. Of course, Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides all the bandwidth to get this show from us to you. And, uh, and so we'd like to thank them for doing that with us, too. The podcast marketplace, John, includes BB Edit from Barebone Software, Gazelle.com to sell all your Apple stuff, Text Expander, PDF, Pen, Disc Label, all from SmileSoftware.com, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. So, John, uh, I'm going I'm to take some uh, advice. I actually just read it in the chat room. Uh, and, and it was, uh, I, I believe it was grumpy in the chat room, says uh, he wants to share some advice for the lobsters uh, this week in Maine. And, and that advice is don't
4: get caught. Made up.